Welcome to Leadership Dialogues, a podcast for the greater New Orleans region. Leadership Dialogues is produced by the New Orleans Regional Leadership Institute, a nonprofit which provides a variety of nonpartisan platforms to inspire and engage business and community leaders in the greater New Orleans region. Thank you for listening to Leadership Dialogues. My name is Stephen Ruther, and I'm the Executive Director of the New Orleans Regional Leadership Institute. Going back to Bienville's selection for the site of New Orleans in 1718, the Mississippi River has served as a strategic conduit for economic development, trade, and accessibility to the interior of what would become the United States. Over 300 years later, its role in driving commerce, moving imports and exports throughout the country, and creating economic value has not diminished. In this episode, we will be discussing the importance of Louisiana's ports along the Mississippi, with a specific focus on our regional economy, workforce, and infrastructure. I am joined by Paul Matthews, the newly selected Executive Director for the Port of South Louisiana and a recent graduate of Norley. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Thanks so much for uh, joining us and congratulations on your recent appointment as Executive Director of the Port of South Louisiana. I know you have a pretty storied history working with a couple of different ports within the region. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself as well as how you got started in uh, working within the port systems in Louisiana? Sure. I'm a New Orleans kid through and through, uh, born and raised in New Orleans. Uh, I was a graduate of Ben Franklin High School and uh, then decided to go down the road a little bit to Tulane University, to Tulane University and, and get, a, get an undergrad degree in political science. After working on a few campaigns uh, for a couple of years, I decided to go back to graduate school and get a master's in business administration from the University of Louisiana Lafayette. During that time, I was actually living in Alexandria, Louisiana, and was driving to ULL about an hour and a half one way, taking night classes for the graduate work. And I was doing my darndest to try to get back to New Orleans. This was five years after Katrina. You know, there's so many up and downs and the volatility of the city. And I always felt this strong tug to be back home and, and get to Southeast Louisiana to be part of the resurgence since Hurricane Katrina. And so I have been talking to different business leaders, political leaders, just anyone who I could who would listen about the opportunity to, um, to get back to the city and work and find a job can move forward in a career sector. And so uh, I got a chance to meet Gary Lagrange, who was the port director at the time at Port of New Orleans. And I basically told him, hey, listen, I'm, I'm up in Alexandria. I would love to be back in Southeast Louisiana. If there's ever an opportunity to work with you and get a job at the Port of New Orleans, please let me know. And so he said, yeah, well, you know, finish up your MBA and you know, we'll see what we can do, maybe an internship or something to help out. Well, I mean, when I first met him, I still had another year, year and a half left on graduating. So after I graduated, I called him, hoping that he, he hopefully remembered who I was. <laughs> and uh, and I called, I said, hey, I'm just, you know, I'm calling in this ship here. You know, you you said that call you after I got my MBA. So he kept his word and and gave me an opportunity to intern. So I would actually travel three hours one way from Ellick to New Orleans just to spend a couple of days during the week 
interning, whatever you wanted me to do. So I would take days off off from my job just to do that and stay stay home with, with my mom and, and family members. So I think about six months to a year after that, he called me about a potential job opportunity. And my wife said, who's also from Southeast Louisiana, she says to me, if they offer you a job, don't even call me, just take it. You know, just, <laughs> you know, so I had my marching orders. Um, so from there, we got back to New Orleans in January of 2012. And I worked at the Port of New Orleans till 2017. And during that time, I served in many different capacities. And I kind of cut my teeth in community outreach, community affairs, dealing with a lot of stakeholders around the region, trying to find ways that we could connect the port um, to these stakeholders, give them a sense of buy-in. And over that time, I was able to work with you know, different departments, understand the industry, work with different leaders. So I cut my teeth there. And then in 2017, I had the opportunity to become the deputy port director at the Port of Plaquemines, which is a whole different type of port than Port of New Orleans in many different ways, good and bad, if you will. Um, so as a deputy director, you're involved in everything, engineering, finance, operations, the whole gambit, everything has to go through, um, really through your desk before it finally gets to the, the executive director and then to, to the board if need be. For four and a half years, I've really kept my nose to the grindstone, learning and working and growing and helping to, to push that port forward in many different capacities, whether it's you know working to complete out our mission to get um, over a thousand acres of property under contract with Venture Global for the development of their $8.5 billion LNG export facility, whether it's been our process in uh, developing a uh, Catan terminal in which now we've attracted the, one of the top five Catan terminal operators in the world to come to Plaquemines and also uh, procure, you know, millions of dollars of port security grants and some other grants uh, for infrastructure purposes. Uh, it's just really been a great time, great connection with those folks in Plaquemines. So now that I'm, I'm called to, to Port of South Louisiana, it, it's bittersweet. You know, I love the folks in Plaquemines. You know, my heart is there still because we we pour so much into what we're trying to do, what we're trying to build. Uh, I'm really excited about the opportunity to be able to do that at Port of South Louisiana as well. I think they're hungry for new leadership, new ideas, and um, I can't wait to bring that and build the team that's going to move Port of South Louisiana into the future. I think that's a great story about how you uh, became involved in essentially uh, reaching out to Gary Lagrange and, and just saying wherever you could find a role there um, would be a benefit. And I think one of the really interesting things, this is about me personally, is that we live right next to this, this raging, violent river that is this amazing uh, channel of, of commerce for not just the state, but really this country and, and an international beacon for, you know, various imports and exports throughout the country. And I think so many people take it for granted and don't even think about the opportunities that rest uh, within those port systems along the river uh, for a career for other things. So I, I commend you. I, I wish perhaps I had thought more deeply about it when I was younger. Maybe that would have been a good path for me. You talked a little bit about the Port of Plaquemines in this context, but while many of our individual ports within our port system, be it the Port of South Louisiana, Port of Plaquemines, Port of New Orleans, or the St. Bernard Port, they're obviously all in uh, competition to some degree with one another, but they've all done a really good job of strategically differentiating what they do 
what are some of those services or products that differentiate the different ports and what is your future vision or ideas for for growing or specializing that port uh, and further differentiating it? Yeah, uh, you make a good point because the, the ports really were sister ports. We try to do the best that we can to work together. I think with the five ports on Lower Mississippi River, and I would think with the ports in the state of Louisiana, there's an idea that we want obviously developments in our port jurisdiction. However, if it can't be in our port jurisdiction, we want to keep it in the state. Um, as as all being state agencies, I think that's that's first and foremost that the jobs, the cargo, the waterborne commerce, the economic development, if it's not in our jurisdiction, make sure it's in our region. If it's not in our region, make sure it's in our state. Ports on the Lower Mississippi River, the five ports from Plaquemines, St. Bernard, New Orleans, the Port of South Louisiana, which represents the region, river region. And then you look at the Port of Baton Rouge, uh, that makes up over 250 miles of, of river uh, from the Gulf is the largest port complex in the world. So you have almost a half a billion tons of cargo, 12,000 ship traverses of 6,000 ships going up, 6,000 ships going down. It could even be more than that at this point. Uh, 60% of the grain that's exported out of this country comes down the Little Mississippi River. 20% of the petrochemical products that uh, are exported out of the uh, United States come down the Lower Mississippi River. So the mighty Mississippi River has five ports that do a lot, of, a lot of similar things, a lot of different things that at the end of the day is feeding and fueling the world. So when you look at a port like Port of Plaquemines, um, they mostly are an oil and gas port, have always been an oil and gas port. Uh, P66, for example, um, you look at the Port Venice complex, a lot of oil refining, uh, petrol, coke, petroleum, that's been the niche with some grain, obviously with the CHS grain elevator. So that's what their focus has been. Now we're seeing Plaquem is moving into LNG export. And once the two $8.5 billion export facilities are built by Venture Global over the next few years, uh, the port of Plaquemines is actually going to be the largest exporter of LNG in the Western Hemisphere. So you imagine almost 40 million tons of cargo uh, a year, which almost increases, almost doubles, if not increases their tonnage volume by 50 percent really continues to put the Lower Mississippi River on the map. At the same time, Plaquemines is looking to build 1.1 plus billion dollar, billion with a B, container development. We see what's happening on the West Coast and 20 million containers or TEU standard containers that come into LA Long Beach from China, 8 million of that goes into the Midwest, into the inland heartland of America from Memphis to St. Louis to Chicago. And if we can just take 10% of that 8 million TEUs that are going in the heartland and, and divert it from the West Coast into the Gulf Coast and be able to move by way of Plaquemines Port, we're now more than doubling container throughput in Louisiana. It puts us in the same echelon as a port of Houston as a, a major container port and, and major containers on the river, which is very significant. So that's our focus. New Orleans uh, has a lot of different things with it. Well, obviously we know they're moving containers as well, uh, but they're also moving a lot of break bulk items. So 
uh, natural rubber, which then goes on your tires or actually help to use to make the shoes, the rubber that's on your shoes, um, a lot of uh, lumber, paper products, um, and also coffee. Port of New Orleans is the second largest importer of coffee in the United States. So that's also pretty significant. So they have a major focus on the cruise sector as well, a top 10 uh, cruise port in the United States uh, prior to COVID. Port of New Orleans has a $4 million statewide impact because of cruise. And people stayed an additional two nights prior to COVID um, in New Orleans. So those additional dollars coming into the, uh, to the tax base for the city of New Orleans and the region. When you move up to Port of South Louisiana, it's mostly grain. So over 106 million metric tons of grain is ex exported out of the Port of South Louisiana. Not only that, they also have certain oil refineries, major, major oil refineries within the jurisdiction. Port of South Louisiana is actually the largest, second largest, excuse me, second largest tonnage port in the Western Hemisphere, and it's the largest tonnage port in the state of Louisiana. And finally, you have Baton Rouge, which has a mix uh, of oil and gas and other uh, general products, which um, allows for diversity in what we do uh, along those five ports. So is there any competition? I would argue it's very minimal, but it's friendly competition. Let's put ourselves in a position where we show how great we are and the unique status of all of our ports uh, in that process. But if it doesn't come to our port, make sure you come to one of them. And if you don't come to one of our ports, there are 30 plus other ports in the state of Louisiana that you can come to to make it work so that we have true economic development in our state. Absolutely, that's excellent. So let me ask, you mentioned obviously the comparison to Houston. And I know over the last, uh, however long, one to two decades, Houston has made major financial investments within their facilities. And then also, I know we, we have some competition with some of the ports in Alabama, including Mobile. What do we need to do at the local level? Because this is something I've heard about for years that our ports are uh, underfunded, right? And will occasionally be the beneficiary of a of an economic development grant or maybe a tiger grant or something like that in order to um, do some projects. But what do we need to invest locally um, at the state level in order to make our ports more competitive and really up to the highest standards of what we're seeing in other places around the country and world? Well, the first thing is what the state in concert with the federal government, i.e. the uh, Corps of Engineers is already do doing, and that is deepening uh, the navigational channel of the Mississippi River and deepening to 50 feet. Um, now that Mississippi River can be at 50 feet, we can get in the largest ships that come through the Panama Canal, almost 14,000 TEU uh, container vessels. Now, saying that number in itself may not mean anything, but relatively speaking, right now on the Lower Mississippi River, we may have a capacity of only being able to hand, handle navigably ships that are around 8,000 TEU containers. So that is a significant difference. Once we're able to do that and deepen the river, for every feet that we deepen the river, uh, we're talking millions of tons of cargo being able to come into our, our ports. So whether it's containers or whether it's bulk vessels moving, in, moving out grain or chemical products, uh, having that type of depth to get those larger ships in gives us a competitive advantage because frankly, along the Lower Mississippi River is the only place where you're gonna see uh, a deepening to be able to handle those larger vessels on the Gulf Coast. 
Uh, we know they're going on the West Coast, and we know that they're going on the East Coast by way of the Suez Canal, which was <laughs> very much in the news for the past nine months. So that's first of all. Second of all, it's all about infrastructure, uh, intermodal connectivity, and logistics. So we need to make sure that one, obviously our levy systems are protecting our, our major industries. Uh, obviously, that's one. Um, the other issue is making sure that we have the right rail and road connectivities um, and ha having the proper investments so that our ports logistically are efficient and can handle the capacity to be competitors with the West Coast and East Coast. And I say the West Coast and the East Coast because really the myth is that we're in competition with Houston. We're actually not in competition with Houston because Houston is its own market. So cargo that goes into Houston, the vast majority of it that's imported into Houston is going to be consumed within a hundred mile radius of that port. Everything that's exported is gonna be manufactured. Most of it is gonna be manufactured within a hundred mile radius of, this, of that port. We call the port of Houston, the free state of Houston because it's the own consumption zone. Now there's 4 million people in the Houston area. There are 4 million people in the state of Louisiana. So our market and consumption zone has to stress, stretch out outside of our state. So our focus is making sure that we have imports and exports into the heartland of America. The Illinois, the Missouri's, the Tennessee's, the Ohio's, the Dakota's, Minnesota's, the Wisconsin's, the Michigan's. I like to call it Big Ten country for my college football fans. <laughs> so, so being able to get into Big Ten country and be able to export ag from our farmers, right? To be able to uh, import, uh, excuse me, export uh, beef uh, from our farmers, be able to import coffee and import textiles into those areas makes, gives us a competitive advantage. Because unlike the East Coast and West Coast, the Gulf Coast is continuously exporting more goods than it's importing. Hmm. And it's, that's very difficult because if we're exporting more than we're importing and there's an imbalance in cargo to where we're not importing enough and bringing it to those markets is less like, likely for a ship to call onto our port. Hmm. And if those ships are calling onto our port, they also want to call on other ports on the Gulf Coast. So the good news is because of this uh, new infrastructure bill that has come out, there is an opportunity for more infrastructure needs to be, um, to be dealt with in Louisiana for our ports, whether that is making sure that the maintenance of the channel and depths on the Mississippi River are handled by the Corps because the Corps has new infrastructure dollars, or if we can expand our roads, our runways at our airports, if we can make more efficient our rail lines, and increase the capacity of how many rail cars that we can handle at a time and have less delay of rail moving in and out of our ports, then we will be significantly competitive with the East Coast and West Coast. Everybody has seen what is happening on the West Coast right now with all those ships delayed. However, uh, they won't come through our ports, all of them right now, because we simply don't have the proper infrastructure that we need. So from a local and state level, and frankly, a federal level, infrastructure, infrastructure, infrastructure is the key. And the only thing that's going to solve that problem is making sure financially our ports have the funds to do so. So currently, outside the infrastructure bill, currently the state has uh, port priority funds, dedicated state funds that are dedicated for ports 
for infrastructure projects. That fund is only $40 million. And there are 30 plus ports in the state of Louisiana. Hmm. You know, like my, my uncle always said, that dog won't hunt. And, <laughs> and I want to and, and thank this governor, because frankly, if it wasn't for this governor, that dollar amount be cut in half. John Bell Edwards actually doubled the amount of port priority funds because he's, you know, he went to West Point. He's a military guy. He understands logistics. He understands the significance of our ports. And he's always supported the ports in Louisiana. And so through that fund, you got 30 plus ports, you know, frankly, if you if you will, you're talking about competition, competing for, for those funds, while at the same time, Mobile, you know, is a, is, has, has one port authority in which money is dedicated to that one port authority. And then you can have hundreds of millions of dollars dedicated to their developments and their infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Georgia. Miami, the port of Miami received over $100 million to remove coral reefs along the trade route um, so that larger ships can get to the port. Those are significant dollars. $40 million at one time for one port, frankly, is not even going to cut it, let alone splitting it uh, among uh, 30 ports. So uh, I know everybody has talked about those four new cranes that Port of New Orleans received, which was actually state money through capital outlay. And, and I know our friends at Port of New Orleans are grateful for it, but those cranes are over $15 million a piece. And so it's those types of investments, uh, large investments that need to happen along the Mississippi River for all our ports from Baton Rouge to, to Plaquemines and ports such as Fouchon, Lake Charles, um, so on and so forth. So if we can put our focus on directing funds to those ports for infrastructure projects, we would be in a better position because we know that as ports expand and for every indirect, for every direct job, one job um, that is created by a port, you have three to four indirect jobs that are created. We also know that one in five jobs in the state of Louisiana are related to ports, transportation, and logistics. So, uh, there are people in your family right now that you can call upon that have a job because of the ports in Louisiana. Absolutely. And I think you hit on so many different aspects that are particularly relevant at this point in time, including uh, the big infrastructure bill that passed. Uh, I'd like to shift gears a little bit and talk about um, you recently graduated from our Norley class of 2021. Congratulations on that. We also have a fellow classmate of yours, Katie Clybert who uh, also recently graduated, and she was recently appointed to the Port of South Louisiana Board of Commissioners. And so I'd like to talk to you a little bit and ask you, what's your approach with the collaborative sort of relationship you hope to have with the Board of Commissioners for the Port of South Louisiana? And how do you all go about um, not just crafting a vision for what you want the impact and growth of your port to be moving forward, but actually implementing that as you go forward in time? Yeah, so the irony is, Katie, who was my classmate at Norley, is now my boss, right? <laughs> so, so she's part of the commission. And, you know, the, the saying is, you know, you have a board and you have a port director. And I'm pretty much the only employee of the board. And then I hire the rest of the staff. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you look at someone like, you know, Katie Clybert, who's from our Norley team, our Norley class, you know, she is very aggressive. She's a visionary. Um, she she doesn't like the idea of just doing things the way they've always been done. And I think that's a reflection of the board as well. The board is hungry to see Port of South Louisiana 
to continue to do what we're doing well, but to grow on that and not just rest on our laurels. And so when I applied for the role, uh, it was amazing how they had the same vision I had about how do we think outside the box? How do we look at all the things that we could be doing and not just focusing on what we're already doing? So our vision moving forward is one, you know, looking at creating this coalition of local, state, and federal politicians um, that we that can get behind our vision. And, you know, as we look at our master plan and redo our master plan in 2022, that vision is going to beget our budgets and it's going to beget um, our implementation and what we do um, from a staff standpoint. So we see there's opportunities, one, to expand the performance of our airport. A lot of people don't realize that the Port of South Louisiana has an executive um, airport. And so just a few miles away from our main campus, what we call Global Plex, where we have a major dock and general cargo moves. Uh, we see as that airport being part of the nexus for logistics in Port of South Louisiana over the next 20, 30 years. Uh, we see infrastructure needs from uh, being able to attract additional uh, air cargo along with executive air travel. Uh, we can do that uh, from a private port, but that's going to take an extension of our runway, which will take infrastructure dollars and we're looking to work with Congressman Carter, Congressman Graves, and Senator Cassidy and Kennedy um, to be able to procure the dollars to extend our runway. Um, in addition to that, um, there's been on the books for a long time, and I believe it's permanent, for a reserve exit. Um, as you may know, in the River Region, you have two Laplace exits. And if you don't take that exit, you got to wait till you get all the way down to Gramercy mm -hmm. and take that exit. And there's not one in the middle. And while St. John is continuing to grow, our port in St. John is growing because we have the major global plex site, which is operated by associated terminals, which is mainly general cargo. Um, but there's a lot of trucking that moves to that area. So we can save time and money for our truckers through that area and uh, our, our shippers. So if we were able to have global plex, the executive airport and with extended runway and a re reserve exit connecting all modes of transportation, all within the same zip code, that is pretty significant for the Port of South Louisiana. That is in addition to the 100 million plus tons of grain cargo that we have that we can expand by having additional grain elevators or the opportunity for moving grain into containers, which is actually a safer mode of transportation and it's more effective and higher margins for our farmers in what I call Big Ten country. So you factor that in along with our refineries, there's a lot of room for growth at Port of South Louisiana. And we see opportunities to work to our, work with our other port friends at Port of Baton Rouge, Port of New Orleans, and uh, Port of Plaquemines and find the synergies that work. And where there's synergies that don't, we'll just, you know, we'll keep doing what we're doing. But I see Port of South Louisiana because we're in the middle and we're the nexus of, of the entire system. Having joint development agreements, having CEAs and agreements working with our other ports is going to be key moving forward. So, Paul, let me ask you, you've had a, a full and a, a very successful career in a relatively short period of time. And obviously, you've been a part of Norley and have had the opportunity to meet and interact with a lot of great leaders from around the region. 
What is kind of your personal story in terms of how you've been able to find success and uh, what obstacles have you had to overcome in order to find that success? And uh, just tell us a little bit more about your leadership journey in, in greater detail. Um, well, for me, I started in the industry, the port industry, which I knew nothing about when I got in it. I was just looking at trying to get back to Southeast Louisiana and anybody who would give me that opportunity, I was going to take it. And obviously, when you when you get into a, a role, you you set goals for yourself to hopefully one day, you know, move into a point of, you know, being an executive, you know, being into uh, decision making positions. Um, so so how do you get there? And I, I just I just focused on keeping my eyes and ears open, working hard, but at the same time, developing the right late relationships. And what I realized is that if in my position, wherever I was, whether in Port of New Orleans or Plaquemines, if in my position I can help others and add value to others, then I can form these right relationships moving forward. And, and, and what I've learned is that being able to understand people and, and manage people and, and manage money really gets you into one of these roles in an executive sense. Um, but it's really, for me, it's just all about working hard and making those right relationships. And every relationship is the right relationship, I think, if you can help and add value to others. And that's what I've been most proud of is, is really my relationships and my friendships professionally that have become you know, more personal over time. And what winds up happening is that as you, as you make these relationships and you network and all that kind of stuff, you start to get different perspectives about the role. You start to realize that there are certain needs, there are certain problems in the industry, but nobody has a solution. Or if there is a solution, nobody's tried it. That's the opportunity to get in. I actually created my position at the Port of New Orleans. So I spent about a year floating around to different departments, just trying to learn the business, you know, at the same time doing whatever the executive team needed me to do. And when I realized that not only myself, but others saw a need for community outreach, community affairs, I created the position and I created a plan to solve that problem. Uh, is the problem solved? No, not necessarily it's solved, but at least we got it started. And now Port of New Orleans, since I left, has been able to take it to the next level, been able to hire more staff, but somebody had to start, right? When I got into Plaquemines, the roles and responsibilities of the position as deputy port director are completely different and in some ways expanded than when I got there. It was more of a bean counter position. It was more of a, a, a operating position to just make sure that on a daily basis, we do no harm, right? <laughs> you know, everything keeps running. Uh, we don't take any chances. We just keep it as is. I've been able to expand the role now to where the person that's going to come behind me, there's probably going to be more require, requirements. Um, as people interview, there's actually a need for someone to preferably have, obviously, an MBA, but possibly a law degree, or maybe somebody with an engineering background or a rail background, mm. because that's what the position calls for now. So, you know, being able to bring value to a role and to bring it up to a certain level now I know that when I leave and go into a different role, I've set this role up for success, whoever comes into it, right? So it, it's been really cool. And, and I haven't really had a lot of time to think about the last 10 years in the industry, but it's pretty cool to think about 
you know, I'm, I'm trying to get in. I'm trying to hustle to get back to Southeast Louisiana. I got into the port industry. And in January 2012, I, I started um, working for the Port of New Orleans. And in January 2022, I'll be the port director at the Port of South Louisiana. Um, it's not something I think about all the time, but it's pretty cool when I say it, right? <laughs> because, but it just comes down to working hard and, 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 and developing the right relationships. You know, if you can, if you can work hard and love on people, I think you can do anything you want. That's excellent. Well, congratulations again. I promise you, we are the beneficiaries of your talent, energy, vision, and uh, your brain. So we're the lucky ones. And uh, we're certainly excited to have you uh, moving into that role in the near future. So congratulations. I look forward to uh, hearing about you in the future. And we'll have you back on and you can update us as uh, things progress with the Port of South Louisiana. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Leadership Dialogues. We'd like to thank our annual sponsors whose support helped make Norley programs available in the greater New Orleans region. Our pinnacle sponsor is Entergy. Our legacy of leadership sponsor is Atmos. Our support sponsors are Jones Walker and Gamble Communications. Our stakeholder sponsors are Iberia Bank, Metairie Bank, the Miro Foundation, the Port of New Orleans, and Home Bank. And our recognized partner is Greater New Orleans, Inc.